Hey, thank you so much for tuning in to this week's sermon podcast at Yarmouth Wesleyan. We hope that you are encouraged by the message that you're about to hear. Uh, And we would really appreciate uh, if you would subscribe on Apple Music or follow us on Spotify. That really helps us continue uh, to do the work that we are doing. So thanks again for tuning in and enjoy the message. I don't know how your years end and how your years begin, uh, but for us, it's pretty consistent. For the last few years, there are certain things we do in our household as one year's coming to the end, we have that Christmas break and we start revving up for the next year. There's just kind of certain things we do. I don't know if it's the same for you, but here's what we do. Uh, One of the things we do is we tear through the house. There's something about walking around the house, looking at all the junk that has accumulated in our home over the past year that just seems sinful to bring it into the next year. Plus you got Christmas gifts entering the mix. And so as we walk around, we just kind of wave our hands in disgust. How has the house become this way? How do we have so many toys? How do we have so much junk? And so we always commit to ourselves on that break, let's tear through the house. Let's clean up. Let's just kind of purge closets, drawers, bedrooms, toys. Uh, And it's awesome. There's something so refreshing and freeing to open a drawer and just see it halfway empty. There's something about going to your closet and opening it up and seeing empty hangers in there. There's something freeing in the free space. There's few things as joyous as going to the kids' toy room, gathering up all the kids' beloved toys as they cry on the floor. We put them into bags and we take their beloved toys and we throw them out because let's not be confused here. We don't have a heart. We love seeing our kids cry over the stuff we're gonna throw out. It's freeing and wonderful. It's maturing for them. There's something awesome about it. The other thing we do in this process is that we take all of our commitments and we put them on the table and we kind of ask ourselves: are the things that we said yes to in last year or in previous years, are we still saying yes to them going forward? Are we still committing to these things from before forward? What we don't want to do is get caught going to autopilot. And if we're not careful, things that we signed up for back in the 90s, we're still committed to it. We aren't sure why, but we gave our word or we said yes to something and it feels like we can't get out of it. And so we'll go through all of our commitments, the things we give our time to, the things we have said yes to, uh, ministries or the ministry. We'll put our church, Yarmouth Wesleyan, on the table and we will have the conversation, are we still called here? Did the things that God laid on our heart in 2016, are they still there going into 2022? It's healthy. It's good. Resist the temptation of autopiloting your life. The third thing we do is put ourselves on display. So we'll put ourselves out and ask ourselves the tough questions. Uh, Are we becoming the kind of people we thought we'd become at this age? Uh, The goals that we set out for last year, did we accomplish them? Do we need to change them, tweak them into next year? Um, This is less fun. It is way more fun to throw out my kids' toys or to empty a drawer or to purge the backseat of the car than it is to look inside me and to realize maybe I wasted the previous year. Maybe the things I said I was gonna do, I didn't do. Or worse, uh, I'm behind where I thought I would be. How many people, myself included, set out pandemic goals or things we would do on lockdown, all this free time we were given, we would make strides to become the people that we wanted to become but could because life was too busy. Now that we had time, now let's do it. We look back on the year gone by or two years gone by and realize we didn't do what we thought we were going to do. And anytime you start looking inward, it can be uncomfortable. 
So that's what I did last week. Uh, I started putting myself on the chopping block and started asking tough questions and started reflecting on who I'm becoming, uh, what am I happy with, what am I displeased with, what does God have to say about it? If you've never done this before, uh, go slow. Uh, it's tempting to want to get an answer quickly, but, but maybe go do something mindless. Do the dishes, go for a drive, uh, clean out that drawer, but just kind of ask the Lord, how am I doing? What do you see that I don't see? And just let that kind of percolate. And then I would say, if you've never done it before, do it steady. Like do it every day for a couple days. Let him speak to you. We'll want that quick answer, but rarely does that come. And then thirdly, after you've sat with the Lord slowly and steady, put some scripture on the table. And so as I did it for myself, uh, I did the slow and steady. And then as I started pondering scripture, uh, it didn't come right away, but Galatians 5 came to mind. And I was going for a drive one day and Galatians 5 popped on and here's what it says. And what I want to do for the next few minutes is share with you kind of how God spoke to me, uh, walked me through some reflective questions uh, going into this new year, who I'm becoming and the person that he is calling me to be. But for me, it's starting Galatians 5. And so if you don't have a verse, if you don't have a passage that God is working with you through, borrow Galatians 5. And I'll even share the questions that he gave me. But in Galatians chapter 5, Paul says this, but I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desire of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other, to keep you from doing the things you do not want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of rage, uh, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the things like these. I warn you as I warned you before that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with his passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another or envying one another. When I first went through this, there's a few things that kind of jumped out before the questions started to kind of bubble to the surface. When I read through this, uh, one of the things that Paul is often known for is his abundant clarity. There's no hinting around. He, he kind of points out that there is a battle going on. There is a tension between the flesh and the spirit. And Christians feel this battle going on. And instead of using vague ideas, he just lists things off. And he leaves no room for the imagination. He spells out the ugly things that we don't want to talk about. But then he also talks about the admirable qualities that we would all love to have someday. And he kind of puts these two things on the table to say, there are some grotesque, ugly things in our flesh, and we will actually be tempted to pursue them. But as Christians, we also have this ability to want to pursue the life he has for us. And in the life of the believer, every believer is this tension going back and forth. Now, when I read through it, I like the, the, the way he flirts between moral imperative and invitation. There's this moral imperative, thou shall walk by the spirit, thou shall not walk by the flesh. You ought to walk by the spirit, you ought not to walk by the flesh. There's this don't and do. 
which is very rule-oriented and very strong language, but it doesn't leave it there. It's still rooted in this love language of we get to walk by the Spirit and we don't have to walk by the flesh. He holds those two things together. I'm imploring you not to and, and I'm inviting you to leave this and step into this. I love how he does both in this passage. The other thing that I like in this passage is kind of the pastoral rallying cry. I think one thing that happens on the Christian journey, both for leaders or the individual believer, is that if you give in to the desires of the flesh repeatedly, you start to think that what you have done is what you will always do. And so you can have a bad week, a bad month, a bad year, or a bad decade, and you start to believe to yourself, if this was bad, it will always be bad. Paul's no dummy. He's not confused or surprised that people in his churches are being pulled in this battle and that maybe many of them have given into the flesh. I mean, he wrote 1 Corinthians. We've seen what happens when the church goes wild. But what I love about it is he's not writing this from a place of cynicism. He's not shaking his fist. He's not an angry father. It's the pastoral rallying cry of, let us, let us go this way. Like, we get to go here, so why don't we? There's just something about that that I find really encouraging. Now, that's just kind of the passage. We'll unpack that over the next couple weeks. But as I said, this hit me for reflection. Where the reflection started to go as I sat down and put myself in front of Galatians chapter 5, or should I say put myself down in Galatians chapter 5 on top of it, what started to happen is God started to bubble up certain reflective questions that I was using and I'm still using this week, and I just want to share them with you. And the first question that God kind of brought to mind is, am I being honest about the battle? As I said before, Paul is not sugarcoating. He is not uh, insecure or uneasy about going straight into it. There is a battle going on. It's not confusing and it's not subtle. It's clear. And he lists off. And I don't want you to think this is an exhaustive list of fleshly desires that we can be pulled into. I think he is just writing and the pen is flying and he's listing off things that he knows is true in his congregation. And I'd even say things he has felt inside him. So he's just writing this off. There's this battle because he compares it with, but we also get to walk by the Spirit. So back and forth, this battle here, flesh, spirit. The second thing he does with not confusing the battle is that he doesn't just care for himself in the battle. He cares for the believers in the battle. Part of being a Christian and part of being in the battle is not just caring for how I'm doing in the battle. Do I care for how others are doing in the battle? See, it's not let me walk by the Spirit, it's let us walk by the Spirit. I think one of the dangers of the lockdown in the, in the isolation phase is we become very self-focused. Take care of yourself, take care of you, protect you at all costs. While there may be wisdom in that for a season, may we not lose the ability not just to ask how am I doing, but how are we doing? Now, I want to say something, and I didn't really want to say this. I wanted to delete this from my notes, but God just kind of kept pressing it on me. And it's going to sound cheesy at first, but to ask the question, you know, am I being honest with the battle? Here's the image that came to mind. What if the church was as honest about the spiritual battle and as attentive to the spiritual battle as we are to the COVID battle? Now, don't laugh and don't tune away for a second. But one of the things I've been thinking about is, is it possible that while there are concerns around COVID, the enemy is able to use COVID as a focus point of the church to get us away from the real spiritual battle that matters a lot? 
What is the point of saving your life but losing your soul? What is the point of being safe physically if we are unwell spiritually? Now, to press it further, I even had this thought, and you may just shut me off here right now. What if some of us prepared for our day the way we prepared to go get groceries? Humor me just for a second. There are a lot of people getting up in the morning, going about their day completely naked for the spiritual battle ahead of them. And yet, when we go get groceries, you've seen the photos, you've seen the videos, all manner of foolishness, the way people get groceries. And even those who aren't foolish are masked up, gloves were popping for a while. Remember when we used to wash our groceries when we bought them home? Think of the spiritually destructive things we've brought in our home, yet we'll wash our groceries. Humor me. What if the church took the spiritual battle as serious as we're taking the COVID battle? I'm telling you, church, I've had a lot more Christians <clears throat> talk to me about COVID concerns and spiritual concerns the last two years. I've had a lot more people talk to me about COVID implications than spiritual implications the last two years. Maybe one of the questions that God wants to do with us in Galatians chapter 5 is, have we fallen asleep to the battle? Maybe today's the day we wake up and realize, I'm in a battle. It's not that I'm just losing the battle. I'm walking around arms down, unguarded, ill-prepared, and I'm not even in this fight for myself or my family or for people around me. And so the first thing I found myself is, is how am I doing paying attention to the battle? That Ephesians chapter six, armor up and prepare. That was just the first question God kind of put to me. Second question for reflection God dropped on me was, what is my life producing? One of the things I like about this is the clean language. Here's the flesh, here's the spirit. Here's what is produced by the flesh. Here's what's produced by the spirit. And then Paul just says, let us not do this, let us do this. That your will matters, that you get a choice. Uh, as a new believer, he wakes us up and empowers us that I hope you don't, but you can walk back to the flesh, but you also could walk to the spirit. And he just lays it out and he invites us over here. And so I found myself asking the question of, what is my life producing? Now, the problem with asking this question is we have a really strong ability to be biased. Some of you watching this will be wildly optimistic. You, you can't fathom you not doing well. And so you just live your life with an aspirational filter that if you want it to be true, it's practically true in your life, whether it is or isn't. But for every optimistic person in the room, there's an overly pessimistic person out there that you are disproportionately critical on yourself. And so to actually look honestly at your life typically requires the body of Christ. I don't have the ability at times to put myself on the table and then be fair and honest. I need people that I trust who, look, who will look in and say, here's what we see, let's talk about it, let's be honest, and let's lay ourselves open as a community. And so as I was doing that, uh, I started with me. I started going through like, where am I producing? What am I producing? But then I brought other people into the conversation as well to say what they see in me. <clears throat> and one of the things I had to realize over this last year is that I have produced a lot of fruit. Uh, I have produced mounds of fruit. It's been a very, very productive season. This is, the harvest is plentiful. But what I realized is I am producing fruit of the pandemic, not fruit of the spirit. One of the things I'd look back to this past year is to realize that we will produce fruit. That's non-negotiable. 
but what I was producing was fruit that came straight from the pandemic, not fruit from the spirit. For me, I'm not putting this on anybody else. For me, when I look back on the year, I noticed I am producing way more fruit of anger. I am producing way more fruit of cynicism. I am producing way more fruit of numbing out to media. I am producing way more fruit of things that would not have been true about me before. And so what I did was I justified it because honestly, we're in a pandemic. What do you expect from me? Of course I'm angry. Look what the province is doing. Of course I'm pessimistic. Look at the world. Of course I'm numbing out. There's nothing good to look around. And, and so what happened was, as I looked at the fruit I was producing, and even though I was aware of it and did not like it, I justified it because the situation is difficult. And God, in his gentleness, said, I did not give you the fruit of the situation. I gave you the fruit of the Spirit. And there's just this resounding gong going off in my head the last two weeks that the situations I'm in will rarely be ideal. This is, we're on this side of heaven. Rarely will I live in the ideal. And so my situation will always give me an opportunity or an excuse to produce the fruit that I don't want to see. But what I'm encouraged by this passage is the Spirit trumps the situation. That regardless of what we're going through, God offers the fruit of the spirit and he can grow the fruit even in unideal situations. And so would you take some time this weekend and put yourself on the table and say, what am I producing? Because you are producing fruit. It's just what kind of fruit? Fruit of the flesh, fruit of the spirit, fruit of your family tree, fruit of the spirit. Like what is it that is producing in your life? And then ask the Lord to help you be honest about the fruit you want to produce in the year coming. Now, if this seems a bit difficult and a bit uneasy, it's going to get worse. The third question I felt God kind of drop on my lap was, do I want for me what God wants for me? One of the things as I went through this passage, it was very easy and very tempting to look external, to look aspirational. I mean, I'm a pastor. I know the right thing to say. Of course, I know how to answer these questions correctly. But as I kept reading through this and kept going through this, <clears throat> it was not even just, what am I doing and what am I behaving like? But what do I want deep inside? See, I think one of the things our, our world tells us is to look at the external metrics and have that speak to what must be true internally. But I think we have a, a crazy ability to be, to be uh, self-deceptive and to project what we wish were true. And in the kingdom, it doesn't go outside in. In the kingdom, it goes inside out. So we're not called to fix the external and hope that fixes the heart. We're called to have God fix the heart and watch that permeate the external. And so the last question God gave me wasn't about external. It was about my wants <clears throat> and desires. Do I want for me what God wants for me? And that may be the hardest question you ever ask. Getting to the source and the heart and the soul to be able to ask God, what does my will actually want? And then I had this thought. What if I'm getting from God exactly what I want from God? What if in my frustrations right now that I'm frustrated, God, why aren't you blessing? God, why aren't you doing things? God, why aren't you... What if God is sitting there saying, I'm giving you exactly what you want. I am granting you all of your desires. And what if the problem is not in God's goodness or his ability to grant? What if there's a want issue? 
what if the lack of spirit fruit that I'm not seeing in my life is not his ability to produce fruit, but it's in my issue of wanting him to produce fruit. And so I found myself the last couple of days sitting before the Lord in the mornings asking, what are my wants? Like maybe I'm as fulfilled as my wants are leading me to be. Maybe I need to increase my wants. And so I found myself trying to pray things really specifically. Maybe you should try it this week. Start praying specifics. God, I want to watch Netflix more than I want to be in the Word. God, I want to do nothing more than I want to worship. God, I actually put it out there. Maybe say, God, I don't want you the way that I want to want you. Maybe before he can move, excuse me, sorry. Maybe before he can grant the actual desires, we have to get honest about the desires. And so this week, before we dig into this series on a teaching level, would you consider taking a few moments and sitting down with the Lord and getting honest about the battle that you're in? Would you consider getting honest to really doing some serious inspection about the fruit that's being produced in your life? And if this causes you worship and thankfulness, praise the Lord. But if the spirit of conviction moves, let it. Let him draw you into a new place. Would you sit down this week and actually put your hands out and actually ask the Lord to really, like King David said, search my heart, O God. Get into the inner stuff. And what is it that my wants and desires are actually speaking to? Now, everything inside of you is going to want to lead to guilt and shame. If you feel like you're not measuring up, if you feel like, ah, I know how this is going to go, pause, deep breath, God of grace. Paul's words, let us. No finger waving, no shame. This is an opportunity. Let us walk by the Spirit. Blessings on you this week.